Welcome to Design Huddle Podcast, where two internet friends break down what's new in tech and design. Each week, we talk about what's trending in tech, have some hilarious candid interviews with creative professionals, and drop some knowledge on you so you can stay ahead of the pending robot apocalypse. Now let's get into this week's topic. What is going on, guys? Welcome back. It is your boy Brandon Gross and Ryan Warner back at it again with another episode of Design Huddle. What's going on, guys? How you feeling, Ryan? We're back. We're back. Yes, Happy we are Friday, back. or should I say Friday? We made it through another week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've made it to the end of this week, guys, and we're closing it off on some very interesting things. We have, as always, three awesome topics. And before we get into that, I want to say hi to each and every one of you who are in the chat. What's going on? We have Ryan in the chat first. <laughs> Make sure to follow him on Instagram, guys. Yo, shout out to Andre? Ryan. Oh, wait, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Sandeep, Ibrahim, Samantha, glad to have you guys. All right, so first off, Ryan, what do we have? We're talking about Nike today. Let's yeah, jump we into a, that. We got a packed agenda, so just to give everyone a little teaser, we're talking about uh, the new Nike shoe design. I don't know if you've seen it. We'll be talking about that. Then we'll get into endless video games for all the gamers out there. And then um, we know the design fam is strong with the design huddle community. So we're going to touch on uh, some 2021 web design trends. I'm a big fan of these trends. I think like half of them tend to be very interesting. We can kind of discuss um, which ones we think are going to stay around and which ones are kind of more of just like, you know, trendy for the moment. But first, let's start off with the Nike Go fly ease hands which is a hands-free shoe by nike so i'm going to give a quick i'll give a quick overview from the official nike press release and then we will get into it so it's an intuitive easy on easy off and evidence of how design innovation and engineering can meet to answer an ambitious north star the creation of hands-free shoes 2021 crazy but beyond the shoe's smooth motion is a bi-stable hinge that enables the shoe to be securely in fully open and fully closed states uh the durability the duality allows another signature detail the nike go fly ease uh tensor the tensor's unique flexibility supercharges an action many might take for granted kicking off a shoe wow love that and completely reimagines this movement as a basis for an accessible and empowering design. Very interesting. So um, I'll pull up the video for anybody on the live stream so you can see it. And then for anybody listening, I'll kind of describe it um, real quick. So basically, you know, someone walks up to these shoes, they have like a hinge kind of feature in the middle. And it almost looks like you're slipping your foot on it into a slipper and pressing down. The motion reminds me if you've ever gone like skiing or snowboarding and you have to click in your boots. That's kind of the motion that the that they're demoing. The shoes themselves, pretty, they're pretty aesthetically pleasing. Uh, off-white, some um, some kind of like highlighter type colors around the shoe, very Nike-esque in terms of the base. Um, but the design's awesome. I like my gut reaction here, very cool. Love that this is an accessible design and I love that Nike's always taking their products to the next level. Brendan, do you buy these shoes? I would 100% buy these shoes, man. I saw this. Uh, so how I actually came across this, and I'm actually curious how you came across it, is um, Jimmy Fallon's Instagram. Is that how you came across it too? Uh, no. 
but I love Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> I saw well he the reason I saw it is that he was like, Hey, I actually went to Nike and pitched this idea and then they came out the closet with, Hey, we've been working on this for X amount of years already and then he I think they sent them to him as a gift and uh with that gift, like with his pitch, they had, like, little photos of his little pitch drawings of, like, a, a shoe sawed in half and stuff. Like, he literally sawed one of his shoes in half to go and pitch Nike on this idea. Um, but I think this is absolutely awesome. I hate bending down, uh, <laughs> which is another well, problem also, there's entirely. No, there's, no, there's no laces. So it's there, there's so much value here. It's that... You can kick them off when you take them off. You can literally don't need to bend down to put them on. And then yeah. you literally just step and walk forward. So imagine all the time you're saving. You can have so much more time to watch you know, Netflix movies. Agreed. What do you guys think in the chat? Yay or nay to these shoes? Yeah. I'd but. love to hear. I mean, we're seeing, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of like so cool, um, pretty smart. <laughs> Somebody mentioned that they can get dirty quickly from Andre. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> That's the white heels. Uh, white heels always scare me. I tend to go all black shoes, including yeah. black heels, because they get dirty so quickly. But um, yeah, the neon colors are super cool. Stand stand up. My so we've talked about a bunch about the about the pros of the shoe. Uh, one thing that jumped off in my initial reaction to this is um, the durability. So you can kind of see um, if you're in the live stream right now. The shoe has a clear hinge in the middle where you can slide your foot in and press down. Um, yeah. My question is, is that if you did this a thousand times, would this kind of remain intact? That to me seems like, you know, it could easily break or get worn down or eventually like the back heel would just be disconnected. I'm typically yeah. not a huge fan of, uh, of tech products when it's like the first version of it. I like to have it go through a couple iterations and then I'm hopping on like, you know, the third or fourth version, so I don't V2, know that I'd get the V3. first one just because of the risk. But I would, uh, I would definitely. I love the design overall. I think this is like the future of shoes. Is there a price point, or is this just a prototype? There is. That's see a good question. Prices, All this is like cool the stuff. The new design huddle trend is we show these amazing products, but then they never. The <laughs> and there's never any pricing. But let's be real. This is a Nike shoe. I would venture a guess somewhere between one fifty and two hundred, just based off of like yeah. where their new release shoes typically would be. So this is this is definitely going to be a, a luxury top end um, shoe. So uh, I'm sure they come in different colors, but they're calling it right now in white, celeste, blue, and volt. Which I didn't know that volt was a color. <laughs> People be naming their. I wonder wh which one is the vault. All right, so there's white, celestial, blue, and vault. Vault is so the, the pink. Volt, I would think is that like I don't know, maybe the pink or the maybe it's like the brown uh, heel. I don't guess it's not brown. I guess it's like more of a chrome. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Buy or not, guys. Let us know in the chat. But I definitely think... Is there any more to the... To the... Uh, I think that's the basically the end of that article. Yeah, I mean, it's... Or is there a little bit more? They're mostly... The press release from Nike was like, Hey, check out this cool design. The Hinge GIF is going everywhere. It's been very popular on Twitter. Um, and then they, they mentioned that it's going to be, you know... Everybody can buy it. Availability starts later this year. So I do think I'll wait to see people get their foot in, you know, run around. If the durability is good, I would consider getting these. But I also burn through shoes super quick. So, again, it, price point <laughs> matters a lot. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. a good question. And someone else. Uh, it, 
someone else mentioned about using these for running. Um, it's a mm. great question because I agree. Is that is it because of the clicking motion? Does that mean you'll be less likely to slip out of them if you're running fast or doing something? Right. Um, that's super interesting. We don't we don't need to run in the future, Ryan. We we'll be able to sit down forever and just be healthy. That's my that's my hope. That's my hope and dream. Yeah, it's either that or <laughs> it'll be like have you ever seen the movie Wally by Pixar where it's like everyone's just sitting in like these those floating chairs in space because we destroyed the planet. Yeah. I don't but I think we'll get we'll get it there and be like, "All right, we definitely need to like have some sort of I I feel like by that time we'll have made something so that we could actually deal with the internal issues that we're dealing with. Like, I don't think being unhealthy is, uh, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of technological innovation in that industry, I think, as well. Especially with what's going on right now. I feel like there's going to be a lot more money um, in those areas. And hopefully, those uh, the people who have that money end up innovating and not just, like, doing something else with it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. That actually is going to bring us into some web, de- web design trends later in the episode where we talk about um, digital wellness is like one of the most popular trends. How can we have thoughtful connections between technology and our everyday life? So teaser, more to come there. But I think we crush this topic. Let's move on to endless video games. Um, this is from TechCrunch. Give it a second to load up because... I have a million tabs open, and let me just scroll with this. <laughs> and all those advertisements, TechCrunch. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's dive right into this. So Latitude, it's a startup building games with infinite storylines generated by AI. It's announced that it's raised $3.3 million in seed funding. The idea of an AI-generated story might make you think of hilariously nonsensical experiments like Sunspring, but Latitude's first title, AI Dungeon, is an impressive, open-ended, and coherent text adventure game where you can choose from a wide variety of genres and characters. Unlike the classic adventure like Zork, where players quickly become familiar with you and you can't do that, style messages that uh, style messages when they type something the designers haven't planned for, AI Dungeon can respond to any command. For example, when my brave knight was charging into battle and I typed, get depressed, He can quickly sat on a rock with his head. (laughs) (laughs) How does AI know what the good stories is, said co-founder Nick Walton, because it's read a lot of good stories and knows patterns involved in that. That's crazy. So um, there's a lot lot to kind of break down here. The first thing is is that this is – they're using – um, AI and also some variation of machine learning, which basically means that they have a system and they're training that system to become more intelligent. And what they're saying is that the, the AI system, they're giving like a bunch of books so it can kind of come up with creative responses to user commands. So this is like absolutely wild. Um, I, am a, I am a gamer. I'm not as much into, uh, I'm more of like a first person shooter or sports game. So I don't know, Brendan. What's your take? My take is I'm super excited about this. Man, like, and you guys know, for those of you guys who are listening, watching, I love, <laughs> I can't stop talking about GPT-3. Um, it has a lot of, uh, 
ability to whatever I don't I don't know the recipe of what GPT three is. I just have seen and have watched and watched with you guys what this thing has done and what it can do and its possibilities. And I love the fact that this is being done in video games because we've had like kind of what is not to compare it to AI right now, but if we look at Minecraft, right, Ryan, you have you ever dove into Minecraft? I haven't because I keep dying. Um, Um, (laughs) I I know that my younger cousins are into Minecraft, and it's very popular with Gen Z. Um, I know that everyone, every generation, plays it, but I'm not. I know Minecraft, but I wouldn't say I've actively played it. Got you. But there's a concept where there's... The worlds are, like, ever-expansive or um, they're made... They're just made uniquely. Each, I think, every time, there's, like, some unique generation uh, to the landscapes within Minecraft. So, to what Ron is asking, are there... Basically, are there alternate storylines like in Cyberpunk? This is the thing, Ron. Um, There's going to be infinite storylines. So not multiple storylines. There's going to be infinite. So you can literally make up any way you would like to in terms of how you're reacting to what the story is giving to you. And the video game will give you new stimuli based on your responses. So basically like real life. So have you ever seen the movie um, Ready Player One? Man, that's my favorite movie. It's I watched it again last night, so I think this is actually like a very timely subject. I think Ready Player One, if you haven't seen it, whether you like gaming, pop culture, it's just it's a, such an incredibly cool, well-done movie for a lot of reasons, but check that out, Ready Player One. But basically, the, the movie talks about how you put on like a headset and then you go into this virtual world. And very similar to what Latitude is trying to do, is you as a player can do anything. You can go to other planets, you can play any other games, you can meet friends. Basically, it's like another virtual world where the possibilities of like what you do is completely up to the player. So I think when I when I read this article from TechCrunch, I think Latitude is like trying to become like the Oasis, which is this virtual world in Ready Player One. So um, yeah, I, I think the the possibilities are really cool. The other thing that jumped on like jumped off the page is like the first game that I think was close to this or like an early predecessor was Grand Theft Auto, yeah. right? Like you can yep. just, you drop in a map and you can go anywhere. That was like revolutionary at the time. Um, but versus Grand Theft Auto has stock or like, you know, preset missions. There'd be an infinite number of supply of missions where like if Brendan and I played the same game uh, and we played it, you know, a hundred times, each hundred would be completely different depending on the variables that we give the system. So yeah. it's, it's incredibly cool for a lot of reasons, but um, this is something that is a two thumbs up, would love to try um, as soon as possible. But, you know, like all good startups, sometimes the sales pitch is really strong, <laughs> but the execution <laughs> is there. So we'll have to see if this can deliver because I have very high expectations. But let's, get it, let's jump into a little bit more of, the, of this article, though. So Latitude, just to give you, because I didn't know this either. So Latitude says AI Dungeon is already attracting 1.5 million monthly active users. And if you guys are not familiar with this, like literally just type in AI Dungeon and just try the game. It's free. Just just check it out. The startup plans to create a more, and we have three minutes. We're going we're gonna to transition. I just, there was a little part and we'll switch topics here. But okay, 
Let's just get into this. Walton noted that without AI, video games are always constrained by the imagination of its creators. Even when you get to games like Elder Scrolls 2, da uh, Daggerfall, or No Man's Sky, with randomly generated towns and planets, this is kind of what I was talking about with Minecraft, he argued that they're really offering the same spin on a similar concept. So it's just... The, they're just taking like a base and then just adding small unique things here and there in certain levels. Yeah. For example, he said that in Daggerfall, when you go to all these towns, they're basically the same. That's the problem with procedural generation. They're, you're not coming up with unique things. AI, on the other hand, can come up with things with something completely unique. That's so... That's so... Ev wait, that... What? Something completely unique, that's so... So different every time. All right. <laughs> All right, but basically what I really wanted to get to is this. From a business perspective, he said that this could lower the cost of developing AAA games from more than 100 million to less than 100,000. Man, this is exactly kind of what I was talking to you about earlier this week about, um, or maybe previous weeks, how motion capture um, technology, even when we might not even need motion capture suits to capture motion because you have uh, companies like Facebook who are literally just... Um, I forget the technology that they're working on, but it's literally just camera motion tracking. I think it's called like Tom or Frank. Um, is it's, It has a very weird name, but where you can just track a motion purely just from a camera. Um, obviously, there's things like Connect and stuff like that that's been in the past, but yeah. the very low, all this new technology is making the ability for creatives to do things at a much lower cost. All right, that was my spiel <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on that one. I mean, I think it's a it's a great it's a great summary, Brendan. And I think um, this will be something we'll have to watch. I mean, I'm, we'll see how it develops, test it out, and come back to everyone. That sound like a plan? Definitely. <laughs> All right, let's <laughs> let's transition into the third and final topic of today, which is a big one, but um, web design trends to follow or to watch out for in 2021. This is a topic that Design Huddle always covers. Brendan and I both come from UX backgrounds. Um, Brendan's much more on the visual design side. I'm a little bit more on the strategy uh, side, but we can do the whole spectrum of UX. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about these. I think we'll break it down, make it as simple as possible. So if you're not you know, a full-time designer, that these all make sense. So I'll quickly go through the 10 and then we'll dive into which ones jump off the page first. So first one, imagine a physical while being while designing digital, I think this is highlighting a lot of the things we previously have talked about, but while millions of people worldwide continue to distance themselves from each other during a, uh, due to the pandemic, digital experiences and online communication channels have never been more vital than ever. So this just gets into creating you know, online communities. So let's move on to the second one and then we'll come back to discuss. Number two, frictionless proximity interactions. Usage of personal mobile phones has ri risen even higher during the pandemic while our willingness to touch surfaces in shared spaces such as ATMs, gas stations, pumps has plunged. So basically, people don't want to be touching the same surfaces as everyone else. Everyone wants to be hands-free and digital. Uh, this is like you know obviously why you know Apple Pay and Google Pay have become incredibly uh, popular uh, products during the pandemic. So number three, design for everyone. Uh, this is, should be a trend every year. Um, this is a basically underlining that accessibility. Um, designing products that work for everyone is huge. So the stat here, one in five people live with some form of a disability. Uh, remote work 
and forced isolation have increased our reliance on digital tools, provoking an even greater urgency to ensure that the platforms we all use are visually, cognitively, and physically accessible to everyone. So this is kind of, I think it should always be a trend every single year that we're designing for everyone. All right, number four, we have just a few to go and then we'll come back to the top. Um, break the grid responsibly. So what does this mean? Since the days of movable type, designing on a grid has been the best approach to fitting all elements of a layout together, both in print and screen. Grids have made web interfaces faster and responsive across browsers and devices. However, grids have also arguably played a role in diminishing the unique look and feel of digital products. So designers of the future will have to embrace opportunities to create asymmetrical <laughs> designs when appropriate, responsibly breaking the grid in order to invent new ways to display content. Um, that's super interesting. We'll get into that. I think this also gets into the trend of like folding phones. All right, mm. so let me just check real quick. I think there's 10, so I'll, I'll do one more and then we'll talk about the next five. Actually, let's do six because I, I want to talk about digital well-being as well. Um, cool, more than just pixels, design tools such as Adobe XD, Figma, and Sketch have democratized UX skills and fostered a new generation of designers. However, the top designers of the future will not be masters at molding pixels to crisp, but also visually compelling interfaces. Um, I think that is very relevant that you need to be um, not just someone that can work with one of these tools, but also has like strategy behind it and can understand how to design for different surfaces. And then the last one. Learn how to use GPT-3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seriously, that's going to be the future. But um, design for digital well-being, we talked about this earlier, but the pandemic has really taken a toll on people's mental health. It's been a roller coaster. It's been really tough for a lot of people across the world for a lot of different reasons. Um, so having a balance between tech and our, you know, being a human is super important. So I'm, um, this is gonna be continue to help people kind of fight addiction and make sure that people are not, you know, spending too much time on their devices um, where it's impacting their mental health. So those are the six, the seventh one, which I know I keep saying, but these are also, I just wanna go through the, the, the most important ones. The last one that I wanna hit on is the rise of the social media mall. This is a very, very compelling topic, which um, obviously malls shopping in general has really slowed, if not completely halted during 2020. Um, yeah. social, social channels uh, will increasingly become the main way we discover, browse and purchase products. I think we've seen this on Instagram and shopping as an example. All right, that was a lot. Let's start from the top. Brendan, of the seven that we talked about on this, what jumps off the page the most to you? Honestly, the rise of the social media mall. And the only reason is because I hate it. It triggered me, man. I went to the I went to the store the other day. Yep. Like to get food. And I was just like, what are these aisles? Why do I have to walk down the aisle? Why do I have to walk to figure out which aisle there's a, is there's a where? There's a joke on Design Huddle that Brendan doesn't go outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a joke. It's for real. Um, And I was just so, I was like, I literally have to walk to the other side of the building to get the chocolate. And then like my chocolate might not be there. Like, I just, I was like, oh my gosh, Amazon is so good. I literally could have ordered something, not had to leave the house. Also have it be food or I, a product related and have it come to my house and it be the exact thing that I ordered. 
not have to leave the house, go somewhere, decide how they organized their store, and finally get the thing that I wanted. So I really think that was something in my mind. I'm not sure if it's the laziness or whatnot. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you actually like going to the store, Ryan? Uh, no. Like, I feel like that whole of not. user I mean, flow. I there's a little part of me that used to. Um, of late, you know, e-commerce in general has exploded for the past 10 years. No surprise here. I think the main difference is, is that when we used to go to, like, you know, Target, Walmart, Nike, you know what I mean? We went to these hubs. Social media, you know, especially, like, I will say Instagram stands out here is you know taking basically all of your interests because they're personalizing your feeds based off of things that you've previously shown that you like so you know rather yeah. than me driving to four different stores they're bringing the you know the four items that i like from the brands that i like all in one place and then not only that they're lowering the barrier to entry so you mentioned like you have yep. to walk across the store to find the chocolate then the wait in line and then get check out take it to your car drive back home so now it's literally just like i like this item I'm going to click on yeah. it and then I'm going to use like, you know, some sort of um, single sign on authentication, like, I don't know, PayPal to pay immediately and you can skip the checkout process. So you're basically the reason that this is so popular is human beings innately take the path of least resistance. So a social media mall is just lowering the barriers. There's nothing you can do other than you're window shopping and then you can swipe your card in a matter of two clicks. So this is a totally game changer type experience. This is also a little concerning to me. I think this promotes a little bit of consumerism and that people are going to just be buying for lack of a better word, bunch of shit online. So I yeah. hope that they find some rails in place. So this doesn't just become a place where we see like all of the, you know, junk TikTok products that are pushed constantly to people. So I don't know. I like I like the concept here. I think there's some value, but it also I have I have concerns in terms of getting back to the digital wellness piece. That's my take. But um, Brendan, I wanted to get your take real quick on how do you balance like how do you balance like, you know, you work a lot, you create a lot of content, you stare at a computer, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. How do you balance, you know, your work and being someone that works with computers and in design applications all day? with like your mental health and being, you know, in a good state of mind? Um, that's actually a really interesting question. And it's not going to be an obvious, I don't think anybody has an obvious answer. I think it's really dependent on uh, the individual. And I'm not even sure what I'm about to say is healthy <laughs> for other people. This is just what I found is, um, yeah, we're not asking I'm okay with. If it's the right way, we're just asking, I'm just curious on like, if, like I, I definitely struggle with digital well-being at times. Like there's days where I'm on the phone way too much. I'm just trying to get your take if you have any tips um, to yeah. like, you know improve for digital well-being or any design tips. If you're you know if you're making an application, like what would you do as a designer to make it more digitally, you know, forward? I don't know, man. Cause I I actually and this is why I really don't think I'm the proper person to even be asked that question. Cause I feel like with that question asked, it's like how do I step back and have a balanced life. I'm not about 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 balance like at all. Like I'm the type of person where I think you need to have a little bit or like a medium level of crazy to actually do certain things. So I actually push so that I do go into a little bit of crazy land to kind of do the things or think about the things in that I want to do in different ways that other people might not. So I'm not about balance. I'm actually about kind of crossing into crazy land a little bit. 
Um, yeah, because I feel like that you've yeah. had like side hustles for side hustles. You've always been someone that's like packs your day with being very busy from interviews to coaching and everything in between. So um, one, one pro tip that I can give people listening and, you know, Brendan is I've, it's been difficult, but one thing that I've tried to do is stop using my phone after 9 PM. It's actually very difficult. Um, but mm. it's helped a lot. You sleep better, your body can kind of shut off. Um, and then there's also apps. So on Android, there's a digital, you know, well being app that kind of monitors how long you're on like Instagram and like Twitter. So I usually set like 30 minute limits. Um, you can of course ignore it, but it's a good check where it's like, hey, you've been in Instagram 30 minutes scrolling like endlessly. Your brain's just shutting off because you're getting small doses of serotonin. Sorry, not serotonin. Um, dopamine and you're getting that like little hook every time you like or you're interacting so i think it's a good way to break the cycle and i think one thing that this article's from ux planet um that they said is that we should design with empathy respect and integrity for all the people who use these tools so it's setting the bar for designers that we shouldn't just you know as product designers one of the goals is to create hooks right so you're creating it as part of your everyday behavior how can you get people to come back to your product every day where we're moving away from that. It's like, how can we create quality experiences versus quantity of experiences? How can we have a rich experience that we can do in an effective amount of time? that's not pulling us away too much from the real world. So striking that balance is going to be very difficult, but the designers that are able to do that and put the people, their family members, their friends first, those are going to be the products that we use, you know, and that'll make our lives better. So that's my little soliloquy on like well-being. Um, there's a few other cool things, um, that were in here. Um, so we already talked about imagining physical while designing digital. I think this yeah. is like the, takes us back to ready player one is like these immersive experiences. Um, like imagine where you could, uh, you know, you and I could have a podcast where we're like virtually sitting in the same room, even though we're mm. in two different cities. I think this is pretty interesting. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. I actually, I I was watching something where, uh, and he's got like a million followers. What he does is he does a podcast in VR chat. <laughs> and he literally brings people from like all different backgrounds. I forget the, I stumbled upon him yesterday. Because you already know that I'm ready to just like sell my soul to my computer. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of like that type of person. Um, but... Uh, like, I'm ready to be in the Ready Player One sort of scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. He does all of his podcasts, and all of his guests just log into VR chat, and they meet up in wherever in the virtual world, and they just do a a, a podcast session. And the one I was watching was like, yeah. And so there, I think the one I was watching, it was like Winnie the Pooh and like, Anakin Skywalker were their characters, <laughs> and they were just like you, sitting you in a like pond. Pick an avatar. Yeah, actually, let me see if I can. Fi- let me see if I can find this yeah, really you quick can find just it, to show you the guys. Links, but I, the thing that's cool there too is that uh, you know the world's flat, as in you could connect with people around the world literally as easy as possible. So yeah. these virtual chat rooms or experiences are going to be continually to get more and more popular. But it'd be cool, right, for Design Huddle where we do a live podcast. So you know. We're instead of us like you know talking and casting it, 
but we're in a room. And then if people have questions or they want to add a comment, we can kind of jump in. So then it's this interactive experience where it's not just like all Brendan and I are doing is basically facilitating a conversation, but the community is the one that's generating it. So I think that's like super cool. I hope that there's more, you know, work that goes into this space. I think it's also a really difficult design challenge. You need people that from a lot of different disciplines to make this possible. Um, but I think like these virtual 3D augmented reality designers is going to be a really popular like career that people start to, you know, go to school with or, you know, start to stack the skills to get those jobs. Um, yeah. Did you find it, Brendan, or should I continue? I did. I did find it. So it. It, his, their name is C. Remore, I guess. Um, if you guys want to check this out, we'll also drop a link in the chat so you guys can check it out. Um, so I thought this was really interesting. Uh, literally, like I said, they're <laughs> squatting in mushrooms right here. And they're literally, this is the first one that I, I kind of found where it was a, a guy in VR talks about their worst day as a soldier. But that this is how I stumbled across this. But um, he's got a ton, or they have, I don't know what they're, yeah, anyway. Um, they have a ton more on their YouTube channel, so very interesting. And I just thought, like, man, let me tell you, Ryan, because I was telling you that I was hiring a, a 3D artist this week. And he showed me. I tell it like I, I tell you not like, or I'm, I'm not faking you out on this. He made a sphere, two cylinders, and then two very thin cubes. I know. I'm if for those of you guys who are actually listening to the podcast, I'm like doing hand signs like I'm Naruto or something. But it was very basic shapes that he made, and then he went into um, this program called Substance. Uh, it's a company that Adobe bought, and he literally took pictures of uh, a TIE fighter. So basically what he was trying to show me in like 10 minutes was how he can make a real-life TIE fighter in the shortest period of time, and a very detailed one at that. He took That's pictures cool. from Google of the TIE fighter. He just needed the wing textures, um, the cockpit textures, and all that. And he literally just slapped the textures on these shapes. And it looked like a real textured... Um, and he moved like one knob, a real textured. Um, That's awesome. It, and I was like, oh my God, like we're not going to need modelers. And this is today. <laughs> no, I, is, I think that's the uh, thing is that people don't even realize these tools are out there. Like that's super, what, you said it was called substance. I'll have to check that out. It sounds it, cool. Yeah. And I was like, oh my, it's kind of what's built into Adobe Dimension, which is really interesting, that type of technology. Um and I'm really fascinated by that because literally, if this is today, imagine five years from now, anybody with even just like a creative fart in their mind will be able to just like drag and drop something literally or even like I'm, I always think when will be when will we be able to when we're able to just tell GP, GPT three to make this thing and it connects with these different softwares and just like makes your own world just because you asked it to. Yeah. That's super, that's super cool. Um, so, yeah. So check out the link. Brandon dropped it in the chat. We'll add it to the uh, uh, the episode notes as well. So just to tie a bow on this, because um, you know, we've been kind of getting into the weeds. Here. There's three last that I just want to quickly hit on. Uh, fewer apps, more browsing. I think this is pretty exciting that after years of suggesting to customers, there's an app for everything. Many brands are shifting to focus their apps to lighter platforms, such as progressive web apps. Native apps can be difficult to convince consumers to download, expensive to develop and maintain. So people are moving back to the web and de developing these rich 
app-like feel experience is called PWAs across the web. Um, this has been huge for a while. I think this will continue. Uh, building user playgrounds. So many digital services are designed for relentlessly transactional lens, uh, focusing exclusively on customer demand and fulfillment of the name of boosting revenues. Um, but you know, long story short, as digital platforms continue to mature, there's gonna be an ever higher bar for quality experiences that designers must thrive for. Um, this kind of gets back to the digital, you know, creating digital experiences. Um, and then the last one is just, you know, reinviting, reinventing rituals to share together. So as we've grieved the in-person rituals we used to share with friends and family and acquaintances, we've also created new habits and coping mechanisms to help us make the circumstances better. So products and brands in general are investing a lot of energy to devise ways to fill the empty space of these in-person rituals um, that we used to have. So you can say like underlying trend here is obviously the world has changed a lot since January 2020. A lot of this is about, you know, mental health, about connecting with people in a thoughtful way, about having balance in your life. So these trends are, I think, of the years that we've had design trends where it's like, you know, um, bold text, minimalism, like normal <laughs> web trend tech that always come every couple of years. These ones, I think, is one of the. This has been one of the more meaningful lists that I've seen in a while. I think seventy percent of these are pretty spot on. The other, you know, three. There's probably three in here that are like I think a little bit, a little out there. You know, a little out there, maybe a little ahead of its time. But um, I think this is a really. Wait, which one. ones do you think ahead of their time? So I think like you know, designing, you know, building user playgrounds and. Uh, the idea of imagining physical spaces while designing digital. We talked about it. I think it's cool. I think this is going to need a lot more um, engineering efforts to make happen. Like you can design these mm -hmm. experiences, but to actually make it, you know, uh, something that actually works is going to be much more difficult. So and I think those are just going to take time, but I think the designs will ha definitely happen this year. So yeah, that was from UX Planet. So that was a super interesting article from them. And then um, we'll also link, there's a uh, infographic from social media today that shows web design trends and statistics. So if you're somebody that's data-driven, you maybe, maybe you're a consultant, maybe you work with external or you work with uh, customers or clients, this is really good. You can bake these, some of these stats into your sales pitches to justify why your work is needed. So um, we'll link that out. There's stuff from, it gets into, um, graphics, you know, you know, how people use it, um, fonts and the importance of fonts, visual hierarchy. So it really gets into the basics. Um, yeah, so that's, that, those are some uh, cool links that we also found today. The one thing that from this article that I wanted to get um, Brendan's take on was this trend of personalized content. So when you come on a website that you've been or you're logged in, similar to Amazon, right? So you go to Amazon, mm -hmm. Amazon knows what you bought in the past. Um, you can kind of keep track of that. So, um, yeah, well, Brandon, are you a fan of personalized content or do you prefer to have, like, share less of your data but have a more private, you know, experience? I think I'm willing to, I personally like the trade-off of giving, like, being a logged-in user and having products mm. that are tailored to my interests. So I wanted to get your take here because this is a very uh, popular uh, topic right now. Yeah, man. I'm So I'm... I'm with you. I would rather trade my information for I get 
because I think that's the thing. Yes, there's maybe a, a privacy trade-off, but the thing is, is that if it makes my life easier, I'm more than happy to share whatever yeah, data I mean, is I'm, needed I'm to make that. Yeah, definitely more on that spectrum. I think it's a spectrum, right? I think it yeah. depends on how comfort you are with it. And I think that's yeah. what people need to realize is that it's a personal choice. So as long as you know you're creating options for which you know you so you can customize it to your own liking, um, I think that's what what matters. But two quick stats to share as we kind of wrap up the episode. Um, 54% of users prefer personal rather than generic online experiences. So more than half of more than half prefer basically opting in for these customized, personalized experiences. And 59% of buyers want real-time deals on items that they like. So this is another thing is that like, you know, you keep checking out that TV that you want and then it's like, oh, this person's been back four times. They keep putting it in their cart, but not buying it. You know, just today, we'll give you 25% off. So then you're really creating this kind of dynamic experience to like increase the number of people convert converting and buying. This gets a little tricky because yeah. again, you might get people buying stuff that they don't necessarily need. There's a lot of dark UX patterns that could happen from this. Um, but the the summary here is that people more and more prefer personalized web experiences versus generic, broad. Um, and you know, basically not curated experiences. So pretty cool findings here from uh, social media today, which has this infographic, which we'll link. We talked about a lot today, Brendan. Let's we let's, did. Let, let's put let's put a bow on it. Nike shoes, endless <laughs> video games, UX design trends. What what did you learn today? What was your favorite part? Man, my favorite, and it's going to continue to be, I think just the fact that we're going into more, I know uh, Mike in the chat is like, I want to be able to pick my own tailor, not an algorithm, but I really am a huge supporter of anything that is um, able to make things just more automatic. So whether that's AI gaming, so you have an infinite kind of playroom to uh, play a video game to your heart's content, it also makes it much more easier on the development side and thus allows creative people to jump into, lowers the barrier even more uh, for creative individuals to build what they want. Um, And also whatever is being built, whether it's a platform or a platforms in this case, using um, AI or algorithms to kind of help your user get what they want when they've come into the platform uh, looking for something. Um, because it's very challenging, even from if we're, even if we're not talking about video games, how would Amazon know without the user data? Hey, we need to make sure that uh, Susie and and Tom and and whomever are you know are looking or tend to look for these things. Um, rather, like there's static pages where you make the user search and just search searchability sucks. Or, okay, Tom and Sally usually look for these things. Let's serve them up first. And by the way, if they actually don't happen to need those things, they can search as well. I really think it's important to always personalize things. Um, So I'm excited about customizing options too. Mm -hmm. If you don't want it, you can opt out. And I think it needs to be easy to opt out. And you don't have to go through like, you know, four links to find a way to have a, you know, a a private browsing experience. Right. Um, So I think it's a, a good mix. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Well, listen. Thanks everyone for joining. Let's we'll wrap today's episode. We got another episode coming to you every Friday, nine a.m. 
Um, if you haven't checked out our previous episodes, go to anchor.fm, search Design Huddle. We have awesome, awesome interviews that were done in season one. Uh, we, we're planning on getting more interviews at some point this year as well. So thank you for tuning in. Brendan, bring us home. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. You guys know what's next. We're about to get into our next version of our live stream. But if you guys want to, as Ryan said, check out more of Design Huddle, links are down below. And also if you're on Behance, it's on your right-hand side. Just click the link and check out all of our podcasts from Season 1. So that is it, Ryan. Again, glad we had these awesome articles to check out today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't forget to hit the like button here. And also don't forget to leave a review if you really dig the Design Huddle podcast. So with that said, we will leave you to have an amazing rest of your Friday. I'll be back in just a few to get back in design with you. All right. So with that said, Brandon Gross and Ryan from Design Huddle out. We'll see you on the next one. Peace, guys. guys. Take it easy. Design Huddle is a podcast that is hosted by Ryan Warner and Brendan Gross. The opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company. Thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode.